This is broadcast number 106. This is month number 24. And as of last Sunday, we have accumulated 59 and a half hours of material. Week before last, I was speaking to Brother Martin and I said to him, do you appreciate, Brother, that you and I and Patrick, of course, are involved in a five-year project to record, edit and upload the book of Exodus. It's been a great blessing as of today. We are two years old. So welcome to this broadcast. My name is James Battelle. This is Ex-Catholics for Christ Radio. And the purpose is quite simply to read every verse in the book of Exodus and give a very clear expository, verse by verse, break it down, make it easy to understand. And my goal is to attempt to finish this over the next two to three months and also attempt to keep this brief. After last Sunday's service, which was the long longest to date, I might care to add, we had an email from a brother in Poland, upset that the service overrun, overran, that's my fault of course, and he said, Brother James, please keep it short so I can break bread with you. And we appreciate people all over the world getting up, east coast of America, far east, west coast of America, Australia, New Zealand, parts of Europe, tuning in behind us, ahead of us, and in mainland Europe to read along with us. It's a great pleasure for Patrick and I to have you join us. And therefore, by the grace of God, I want to continue to finish the book of Exodus. Keep it brief, as I say. Don't want to overrun. Uh, we have a 46-minute live stream, and if I speak too long, the stream cuts. So my apologies if you have lost out in the recent two years uh, uh, when it comes to breaking bread with Patrick and I and our little group which join us each and every Sunday. But by the grace of God, we are now two years old. So happy anniversary uh, to our ministry and happy anniversary to you if you've been with us for the past two years. And like I say, this will be week number 106, broadcast number 106, month 24. Exodus chapter 34, look at verse 1 if you will. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. Keep your hand there and go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Look at verse 11 if you will. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. We love the Word of God, and that's one of the reasons why we are King James, Bible believers. Uh, you won't hear many ministries that speak about the words of the Lord. Go to verse 89. They speak about the originals being inspired, which of course they were. But they very rarely speak about preservation. Almighty God wouldn't inspire his word without preserving it. They go hand in hand, you see. Look at verse 89. Forever, O Lord, forever. Forever, O Lord, thy word, thy word is settled in heaven. I love that. Go to verse 140, if you will. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Verse 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Incredible statements. One more. Go to Psalm 138. Uh, Psalm 138. Psalm 138. Look at verse 2, if you will. I will worship toward thy holy temple, and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Almighty God puts a great 
an incredible emphasis on his word. Revelation 22 says if you add or subtract to or from his word, he will take your part, your part, out of the book of life. And just last night, I was listening to a sermon uh, from Revelation 22, and the preacher sidestepped that particular verse. I don't like it when preachers do that. I know why they do it, because they don't like what it says. Yeah. It's like this. If you go back two or three years, there was a movie made called All the Money in the World. And it starred a guy called Kevin Spacey. And it was based on a true story. And they finished making the movie. And some allegations came out concerning Kevin Spacey uh, being a pervert, being a predator, paedophile, uh, sodomite, so on and so forth. And surprisingly, the studios didn't like it. And they said, we can't have Kevin Spacey in this particular movie. Let's remove his part. There you are, his part. And they took his part out of the movie. And they got hold of a guy called Christopher Plummer, who's about 90 now. And uh, he was in Sound of Music, if you remember that movie. And they said to Christopher Plummer, would you be able to replace Kevin Spacey? And being the old pro that he was, he did the part and it got an Oscar, I think. But the point is this, Spacey had his part removed. It means loss. It's a humiliating loss. And therefore, when it speaks about your part being removed from the Lamb's Book of Life, it means just that. You are removed from the Book of Life. I can't stress how serious it is messing with the Word of God. Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that of the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And last week we spent considerable time looking at the glory of the Lord, his attributes, his characteristics. Go back to the book of Exodus. And I made the case very clearly, I hope, that Jesus Christ, first and foremost, is not God the Father. But more importantly, he radiated the full majesty of God Almighty. 34.1, and the Lord, triune Lord, said unto Moses, spoke to Moses, hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. Hew means cut out, cut out. And I, and I, Jehovah speaking, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. This is also the second trip to Mount Sinai. For Moses to meet and speak to the Lord. Incredible. 40 days and 40 nights. Could you spend 40 days and 40 nights with your unsaved husband? Your unsaved wife? Could you spend 40 days and 40 nights with your unsaved son? Your unsaved daughter? Could you spend 40 days and 40 nights with your backslidden brother in Christ? Or your backslidden sister in Christ? Could you do it? I'll discuss that this morning. Verse 2. And be ready in the morning. And come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai. And present thyself there to me in the top of the mounts. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mounts. Neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. It's solo salvation, basically. You come to the Lord on your own. You walk with the Lord on your own. You die on your own. You face the Lord alone at the judgment seat of Christ. The flip side to this is what they call auto-soldierism. An auto-soldierism is a belief that you can save yourself or that you are a good person. You keep the commandments. You keep the law. You don't sin willfully. And how many times have you heard people say that? Well, I've been a Christian, they say, 15, 20, 25 years, and I haven't sinned willfully. Listen, every time you oversleep, 
every time you undersleep, every time you overeat, every time you undereat, undereat, you are sinning. Because your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Present yourself, it's like a student presenting his or herself to their teacher. Top of the mounts, and no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mounts. Neither let the flocks nor herds feed before the mount. I am holy, and you are not. And without imputation, without God's righteousness imputed to our accounts, we got no chance of ever getting near to the Lord. We are an abomination in his sight. Isaiah says all of our righteousnesses is as filthy rags. And that's how he sees even saved people. Isaiah was a saved man. And he says, you are unclean in my sight. And he would say, Isaiah that is, that he was a man of unclean lips. When Peter saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he would say to him, get away from me, Lord, I'm an unclean man. In one part of the Gospels, it speaks about a centurion saying to the Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come into my property. He was a Roman centurion, you see. And he hewed, cut out two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up into Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. So again, it's solo salvation. You can't save yourself. And here, this is incredible because Moses is in communion with the Lord. Moses has been told to bring up two tables of stone, like unto the first, verse 1, which he broke. Scripture cannot be broken, and yet scripture was broken. This is also found in Jeremiah, when one reprobate Jewish king decided to burn a papyrus, a piece of Old Testament writing which Jeremiah had written. And when Jehovah saw that, he told Jeremiah to write it again. We go back to verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, The Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And I write upon these tables the words, the words, the words, that were in the first tables which thou breakest. Ten commandments. Jehovah wrote the Ten Commandments, not Moses. Jehovah inspired both Testaments, not man. Man would write both Testaments, but the words of the Lord are pure words. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And we go back to inspiration. How does it work? God speaks to man. A man writes what has been communed, communicated, conveyed to him. And that's why we take a stand in this ministry when it comes to defending the King James Bible. Most evangelical churches don't believe in this book being perfect, infallible, the final authority. They will fall back on multiple translations. And when they do that, they become their own final authority. And be ready in the morning, early bird catches the worm, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, modern day Egypt, not Saudi Arabia, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Come alone, Moses. And if you are an unsaved person, come alone to the Saviour, receive him, believe on him, trust his righteousness instead of your own. And no man, and no man, and no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. Even the animals are unclean. The heavens are unclean in the presence of the Lord. The more you think about the Lord's righteousness, goodness, holiness, the more you are thrown, just blown away, the more you see how wonderful he is and how despicable we are. And he hewed, cut out two tables of stone like unto the first concerning Moses, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up into Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, 
and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in a cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. It's almost parallel to the transfiguration, and also the two witnesses get a glimpse of this in the tribulation, along with the 144,000. They also seen uh, on Mount Sinai. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. Basically, if you are an unsaved person, and you have children, and you are teaching them to be unsaved, and they have children, being your grandchildren, and they too are unsaved, then the punishment that falls to the grandparents will continue right down to the grandchildren. So for the Old Testament, a Jew, under the Old Testament covenant, that didn't walk with Jehovah, and allowed their children to not walk, or didn't encourage their children to walk with Jehovah, and if their children had children, like three generations, who also didn't walk with Jehovah, they would suffer the consequences. Persistent, rebellious sin. And the Lord, verse 5 again, descended in the cloud. You couldn't see him directly without any limitations. Because, of course, he is sinless and we are sinful. He is clean, we are unclean. He is just, we are unjust. This goes back one more time to auto-soldierism. I'm a good person. I don't break the commandments. I keep the Sabbath. I'm very careful what I eat. I don't sin willfully, etc., 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 and such a statement is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. You are wicked, you are born wicked, you would die wicked. That's why we have the judgment seat of Christ, which we'll all have to go to upon death. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Proclaimed the name of the Lord. He has many names, of course, at the name of Jesus. Every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that of the name of Jesus, not Muhammad, that of the name of Jesus, not Mary, that of the name of Jesus, not the Pope. Every knee, every knee should bow of things in heaven, the redeemed, and things in earth. Could be partly in reference to Matthew 25, depart me cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and things under the earth, unsaved, lost people, God will force them to bend the knee. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ, not your favourite priest, pastor, not your particular Pope that you look up to, not your guru, not your philosopher, or your science teacher, or your favourite Darwinist. Jesus Christ is Lord, meaning God, to the glory of God the Father. And the Lord, verse 6, passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. We need that. If you're like me, not particularly holy. If you're like me, lack faith. You want his mercy and his graciousness. You say, well, James, uh, Romans 8.28 says all things work together for good to those that love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. I believe that. I believe it. But sometimes my faith isn't particularly strong. Maybe you've got the edge on me. Maybe your faith is incredible. Maybe you can move mountains. I don't know. But I can't. So Romans 8.28. Yes it's true and I love it and I believe it and I preach it. But it doesn't always comfort me. I want his mercy and his graciousness. Going back to 
a coffee with Calvin, a coffee with John Wesley, a coffee with preachers from past, all giving you different definitions of the nature of God. And as far as I'm concerned, most of those good, godly, saved men miss the mark. They miss his mercy, his graciousness, his long-suffering, long-suffering. Some of you parents have been praying for years for your kids to get saved. Some of you parents have been praying for years for your grandchildren to get saved. Long-suffering, but in the context, this is Jehovah putting up with sin. An abundance in goodness and truth. Praise the Lord for that. Keep a mercy for thousands. In the context, over the heads of the children of Israel, we would say today, uh, in reference to unsaved people, if you make it to 90, 95, you may think the Lord has blessed you. Well, he has indirectly, but it's more a picture of his mercy. Because when you die, you die a long time. You are dead for a long time. Keep mercy for thousands, forgiving, iniquity, I love that, and transgression and sin, I love that as well. And that will by no means clear the guilty. Whoever you are, whoever you are, whatever you've done, if you've been able to escape the justice of the world, one day God will catch up with you. A few days ago, an Islamic terrorist, a warlord, was killed in Baghdad, and Patrick mentioned it at the beginning of the hour, taken out by an American drone. He was a menace. He was the Hitler of the Middle East, basically. But to listen to parts of the British media, you would think he was Florence Nightingale. It's a joke. He was a dangerous man. He was responsible for death camps, concentration camps all over Iran. Parts of Lebanon are under the Kosh of Syria, a Shiite state. And he lived for 55, 60 years no more than 70, I think. No. One of the most powerful men in Iran would report directly to the Ayatollah. And yet, one day, a drone is sent, hits his car, and he has been removed. He will hit the judgment, as will all unsaved people, and God will not clear him. And that man will have nothing to say. His mouth will be stopped, according to the Book of Romans, and he will become guilty. No saviour, no mediator, no blood atonement, no nothing visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children it could be his children it could be your children if you're not saved and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation this is very old testament not technically new testament doctrine so i have to tread carefully when i preach such a passage i remember years ago watching Derek prince a british preacher hit this passage and he was into signs and wonders and he basically said that the curses from the Old Testament can continue down through the centuries. But he forgot to say one thing. How Christ became a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3. So therefore, if you are saved, Christ has broken the curse, if there were any curses on you. You may have Freemasonry in your family. You may have Satanism in your family. You may have Taoism, Buddhism in your family. You may be into ancestral worship. Whatever you are into... Once you got saved, if you are saved, Christ has broken the curse that may have perhaps been holding you back in life. So I don't believe once you are saved, that curse can still hold you back. I don't believe it. We are free in the Lord Jesus Christ as far as our standing is concerned, but not necessarily as far as our state is concerned. And over the next two or three Sundays, I want to discuss more about our station in life. Not always as clear as you may think. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped his grace. What else could he do? What else could he offer the Lord? And I spend as much time as I can trying to refute some of this false 
teaching, which continues to do the rounds online and elsewhere, how people, past and present, can save themselves by their works. You can't offer the Lord anything. He goes up on his own, he comes down in his own. He's told to come alone. Come as you are, just as you are. A wretched man that I am. And it says one more time, And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth. What else could you do? What else could he do? And worshipped. Worship God in spirit and in truth. That's one of the purposes of mankind. To live for the Lord, to honour him, to worship him, to walk with him. To share his glory, to get the gospel out. I've been a Christian 18 years. Patrick, 22 years. We aren't here for our health. We are here to do the work of an evangelist. To get the gospel out. Tracks go out on a regular basis. Bibles go out on a regular basis. People are spoken to. Uh, people are given answers to difficult questions. Counseled. Advice is given. Bible studies. Trying to help people. Assist people. Come alongside people. And that's why we are here. We're not here for our own health. We're here to serve the Lord, first and foremost, and to help his people to grow in grace and to continue to walk with the Lord. Look at verse 9. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. Stiff-necked, meaning stubborn, rebellious. The Jews throughout the Old Testament and the New are a stiff-necked people. Christians are also stiff-necked people. Christians don't like to be rebuked. Christians don't like to be corrected. Two days ago, I got an email from a pastor in America, and he read an article that I wrote on the tongue movement, the healing movement, and I will get back to this uh, brother. I assume he is a brother, maybe today or tomorrow, and he's basically correcting me concerning my stance on tongues, and he said to me, but Chuck, uh, what's the guy's name? No, not Chuck Meisner. Get his surname. He said uh, the guy who set the Calvary Chapel up, Chuck Smith, would speak in tongues. A wonderful man of God. And I thought, is that supposed to impress me? I mean, Chuck Smith, yes, was probably saved. I won't say he wasn't. But he was very close to the Catholics. Was close to the Campus Crusade guy. Bill somebody, forget his surname. Names aren't coming to me this morning. And he was very close uh, to the Catholic Church. Campus Crusade. Bill somebody, and this character Bill somebody worked very closely with Chuck Smith. And I thought, if that's spirituality, keep it. And I thought, does Chuck, he's dead now of course, but did Chuck allow interpreters to interpret for him? No. Did he allow women to get up and speak in tongues? Yes. It's not allowed in scripture. And that pastor didn't like what I said in my article, and he wanted to correct me. Well, I'll correct him. I will get back to him, and I will show him from scripture one more time. How he is wrong to take such a position, and so was Chuck Smith. And he said, if now I have found grace in thy sight. He's already got grace. Listen, if you are saved, you are saved. Hebrews 6 says, don't keep going back over dead works. Laying on of hands, baptism, so on and so forth, repentance from dead works. You are saved. You are saved. Don't keep going back and torturing yourself if you're born again. If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee go among us. To be fair to Moses, he wants reassurance. And we discussed this last Sunday. Fritz is a stiff-necked people. But look at this. And pardon our iniquity. Earlier on, he says, their sin. I'll go down and deal with their sin. Now it's our iniquity and our sin. 
You just spent time with the Lord. And if you spend time with the Lord, you see your sin, don't you? I know I do. And after time with the Lord, what else could he do? He sees himself as a filthy sinner, as would Peter, as would Isaiah. And take us for thine inheritance. Keep your hand there and go to Mark chapter 15. Moses, as you all know, is a type of the Messiah. The Jews in the Old Testament are a type of the church today. The Old Testament Jews are called out people, literally in the wilderness. Today we are a called out people, spiritually, in the wilderness. Moses spends time with the Messiah and is never the same. The apostles spent time with the Messiah and they were never the same. And you would have thought this, 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord, he would never sin again, right? Some of you holiness people would say that you shouldn't sin willfully. And if you sin willfully, you aren't saved. And I'll discuss that in a few more minutes. And you would have thought after spending time with the Lord, 40 days, 40 nights, could you spend 40 minutes with your unsaved spouse, unsaved children, putting up with their unbelief, filthy mouth, making excuses not to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember a couple of years ago, a chap we knew had two sons. Uh, Mark chapter 15, I said, Mark chapter 15. And I remember catching up with this uh, chap in a town not far from here. And I said to him, I said, uh, how do you feel about uh, your unsaved sons coming out with statements which basically uh, make the Lord out to be a liar? How do you feel about that? And I said, I said to him, do you challenge your sons? He had two sons, uh, but this is one particular son he was closer to, I suppose. He lived near him. And I said, do you ever challenge your son? Because you told me last month that your son called Jesus a liar. Jesus would say he was the only way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And your son said he was a liar. Did you challenge him? And he said, no. I thought, there you are, you see. You won't separate, will you? And as a result of that, he will hit the judgment and have to answer for that. Mark 15, Mark 15. Look at verse 28. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So Moses aligns himself with Israel, for the most part, a rebellious, backslidden people. Messiah aligns himself with sinners. People like you and I. And here in the context, two thieves. Incredible, isn't it? Go back to the book of Exodus. 34.10 And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all thy people I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Terrible in the King James means awesome. It means amazing. And of course, marvels means marvellous, an incredible thing. A covenant, and technically speaking, it's a one-way covenant, a bit like Abraham's back in Genesis, although the Jew was expected to walk a fine line, like keep the Sabbath, and if you didn't, you died. Circumcise your sons, and if you didn't, you died. Be careful what you uh, would eat, and if you didn't, you were killed, you died. Incredibly strict regime. It will return during the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, I make a covenant, Jehovah speaking, before all thy people, I will do marvels, and he would, such as have not been done nor the earth, nor in any nation. That's true as well. He crippled the, Egyptian, uh, the Egyptians. He crippled, down the line, the Assyrians and the Persians. Look at Iran today. It's run by Mohammedans. A poor country, a young country, a growing country, a bit like Saudi Arabia. But it's a poor country. Look at Russia today, Russia's economy is heavily leaning towards the Islamic persuasion, shall we say. And yet today's Russian 
economy is the same as the Italian economy. It's incredible how Russia is uh, even able to keep up with the Americans. And that's one of the reasons why the Soviet Union collapsed, because they couldn't keep up with the Americans. Mm. The Americans outspent them, of course. All thy people, I would, do, I would do marble, such as have not been done on the earth, nor in any nation. Also, a picture of Messiah down the line, and also a picture of the millennial reign. The millennial reign, praise the Lord for that. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. They would see it, and today we are seeing it indirectly. Every time a sinner gets saved, that is a work of the Lord. For it is a terrible and awesome, amazing thing that I would do with thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittite, and the Perizzites, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, sons of Canaan, grandsons, or peoples of Ham. Ham was a cursed son of Noah. There are many cursed people throughout the scripture, but Ham was cursed by his father Noah, and one of his sons, Canaan, is the father of of these six groups of people. And again, this goes back to separation. It's found in both testaments. Look at verse 12. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whether thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eats of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. This is not in reference to interracial marriage. This is in reference to yoking up with the Gentiles. Joseph married a black woman. Moses married a black woman, and on both occasions, Jehovah said nothing against it. But when Solomon, a Caucasian, a Shemite, yoked up with his pagan wives, the one reason why the Lord condemned Solomon for his pagan wives was because they were pagan, not because of their skin colour. You've got to watch this uh, piece of scripture. We go back to verse 11 again. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I, I, I drive out before thee the Amorite doesn't care for them, and the Canaanite doesn't care for them, and the Hittite doesn't care for them, and the Perizzite he doesn't care for them, and the Hivite he doesn't care for them, and the Jebusite he doesn't care for them. And if you go through church history, you see wars on a mass scale, especially during the 20th century, and you think, why do so many people die? Because the Lord was driving them out. He destroyed Germany, World War One, World War Two, to allow the Jew to go back into Israel. And to reclaim their right to their land. Take heed to thyself. Listen up Moses. Lest thou make a covenant and agreement. With inhabitants of the land. Whither thou goest. Lest it be a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy the altars. Break down the images. And cut down their groves. Yesterday I sat down to look at some of the commentaries. Uh, concerning these verses. Very interesting what people say. And I read Rutman's reference bible. And I had to laugh because Peter Ruttman was a great preacher. He wasn't infallible, of course. He had many problems and he taught a lot of heresies, but he was still a great preacher. No, it's not a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. He wasn't born a heretic. He became a heretic through his heresies. He had two or three, no more than probably John Calvin had, or John Wesley, or Charles Spurgeon, or John MacArthur, or David Hocking, 
or Charles Lawson. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on. And some of these guys are saved, but they still have heresies. And I looked at Rutman's reference Bible, and it made me laugh when he got to verse 13. He said, when you get saved, you should destroy your books if they are no good, your CDs if they are no good, your movies if they are no good. And I partly agree with that. And you should be uh, separated, which I partly agree with. But I thought, but Peter, Peter, you into taekwondo, you into karate, you had records, you were very worldly, you went deep sea fishing, you went scuba diving, you took up all sorts of uh, hobbies, you were incredibly worldly. And I've read his autobiography, and he says in his autobiography that for most of his life, he was carnal, but he was still saved, going back throughout church history. So be careful when you read commentaries by some of the greats. What he said was partly correct. And he would quote Acts chapter 19, when it speaks about people who came to the Lord from, a, from an from an occult background, how they burnt their books, and they did black magic, white magic, witchcraft, wicca, and they did. And he was saying, well, that's what you should do when you get saved. But he didn't do that. I mean, he didn't follow witchcraft, obviously. He didn't follow the occult. But he was still worldly. Went to his karate, his, his uh, taekwondo. He paid money to go through that system. And if you do karate or, or taekwondo or any martial arts, they have what's called a uh, uh, sensei. And the sensei is their guide. And they bow down to the sensei. And he bows down to them. It's Eastern religion. And it's not consistent with New Testament theology. So be careful with these reference Bibles. Keep reading on. Look at verse 14. For thou shalt worship no other God. Pretty clear. And that's the whole purpose for this prohibition. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons. You can't, you can't unequally yoke with unsaved people. And I made that case many a time over the last two years. And their daughters go whoring after their gods. That's what Solomon did. And that's why Solomon, Solomon was punished. Solomon was punished for yoking up with pagans. And make thy gods go whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. Molten is basically uh, metal. And a idol back in the Old Testament was metal. But separation, and I'm almost out of time, I'll say this very briefly, is a pretty broad subject. Maybe three or four days ago, I was on YouTube watching a video, and the first 30 seconds, a commercial came up. And I thought, oh, what a shame. Ray Comfort has now gone down the YouTube partnership deal. He signed up for the partnership deal with YouTube. His videos are now monetized. That means Google YouTube partly own his videos. You can't do it, Ray. You can't do it. And I contacted Ray's ministry, and I told him, 2 Peter 2.3 says you can't and you shouldn't make merchandise from the Lord's people. And next week we'll discuss that in more detail. But I did correct and confront and contact Ray Comfort. And I said you can't make merchandise off the gospel. You know, yoking up with Google YouTube. They are making money from your videos. And now, because you've gone down this route, you are in bed with a secular organization. They co-own your videos. And he got back to me wanting to correct me. And I corrected him from the scripture. I said it's very seriously. Very quickly, we were offered the partnership deal back in 2007, and we declined it. And again, 2008, 2009, 2010, right up until 2012, we declined it. We produce our own videos. We don't copyright our material. We don't make uh, financial gain from our materials. We don't sell it. We don't reproduce it. These Sunday services are free to download, and the videos are free to download. But people like Ray Comforts have compromised themselves, as have Robert Breaker. Breaker has also gone into bed with Google YouTube and according to this piece of scripture 
from Exodus 34, which we'll discuss more next week, he has broken the spirit of uh, scripture and broken the spirit of separation. And next week, Lord willing, we'll go into this in much more detail. Exodus chapter 34, look at verse 1 again, please. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And I, and I, and I were right upon these tables, the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. This will be broadcast 106, hour number 60, and on average we are accumulating 56 minutes each week. So broadcast 106, week 106, hour number 60, and we are averaging 56 minutes each week. Look at 34, 12 again. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of the negative. So last week we looked at separation, segregation, an ugly word. It is ignored by most Christians. Most Christians want to rub along with non-Christians, and yet there was a precedent set back in the Old Testament. Separation, segregation. Observe thou that which I command thee this day, Jehovah speaking. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Verse 11, 12 again. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant, an agreement, a contract, with the inhabitants of the land, in the context, Gentiles. Not in reference to race. And I mentioned this last week, there's nothing scriptural or nothing anti-scripture, there's nothing wrong with a black man marrying a white woman, or a white woman marrying a black man. If they are both born again, if they are Christians, it's not an issue. If a oriental man marries a Caucasian, or vice versa, it's okay. It's okay. So get that clear in your minds. A lot of Christians are getting tossed to and fro as to whether or not it is wrong to have people with different skin colours to marry. God doesn't care. Moses married a black woman. Joseph married a black woman. What he is interested in is what is their religion. Not their race. What is their religion? Take heed to thyself, 12 again. Lest thou make a covenant, a contract, an agreement with the inhabitants of the land. Whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare. In the midst of these, a powerful word, snare. Like a trap. The Jew was to be separate from the Gentile. And this president, like I say, continues to this day. And I'll discuss that this morning if possible. 13. But ye shall destroy the altars. Negative. Break their images. Negative. And cut down their groves. Negative. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. As a husband is jealous over his wife and vice versa. Why do you think it would be any different with the Lord? Lest thou make a covenant with inhabitants of the land. And they go a whoring. It's a powerful word. And they go a whoring after their gods. That's the context. Not race, religion. And do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eats of his sacrifice. And that's one of the reasons why you can't go to the mass. If you are a Christian, you have no business attending mass. Whether it's a funeral, christening, or a baptism. Why are you sitting there? Why are you there? Every time the Eucharist goes up, every time a bell is rung, every time the chalice is put to the lips of the priest, they are eating your saviour. How do you feel about that? Does that bother you? Does that concern you? You say, but we've got to get along with people. God says, no. Here in the Old Testament, this is physical. New Testament, is, it is spiritual. But the precedent, one more time, is set. Separation, segregation. 
Get it clear. 16. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons. You can't even marry a non-believer. First of all, you have no business going to mass. Verse 15. Secondly, you have no business going into financial business. 12, 13 and 14. With non-believers. And last week I mentioned Ray Comfort. One of the most popular and uh, successful evangelists in the world today. He's teaming up with YouTube. You can't do it. And he's not the only one. And I checked his channel this morning. Adverts are still running on his videos. You can't do it. Listen, if God has blessed you with the gift of speaking, preaching, evangelizing, if that's a gift that God has given to you, and you then turn around and go into financial business, a financial venture with non-Christians, you are in breach of Exodus 34. It's like Simon the Sorcerer, Acts chapter 8. Give me the Holy Ghost. I want to buy the Holy Ghost. I want to make financial capital off the Holy Ghost. And what would Peter say to Simon? Thy money perish with thee. You're full of iniquity, bond of iniquity, perverse man, so on and so forth. President has been set. And yet who wants to think about this? Most Christians don't like to do a Bible study. Most Christians, especially those who watch a lot of videos online, want four or five minute videos. Quick videos, easy to listen to videos, get their ears tickled. And that's why a lot of these preachers don't believe in the words of the Lord. And that's why a lot of these preachers don't even go through the scriptures verse by verse. Because many times they are in breach of the scripture. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and the daughters go a-whoring, a-whoring, after their gods, pagan gods. That's the context. Google YouTube is a pagan god for today. Facebook, Twitter are pagan gods for today. If you go onto Twitter, if you want your tweets to be discovered, you have to pay Twitter. And if you pay Twitter, they will promote your tweets. It's business. It's a capital venture. You can't do it. Jesus Christ would say you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. And yet what do we see time after time? Sponsorship, financial profit, God blessing people with the gift of preaching, evangelizing, speaking, soul winning, so on and so forth. And then they turn around and say to commercial secular channels, please promote my videos. It was maybe two or three years ago I was watching a video and as I clicked on the video, it said Islamic dating. And I was shocked. An American evangelist, not Ray Comfort, another one, and he since abandoned the YouTube partnership project. It was offered to us back in 07, 08, 09, 10. It was offered to us many times. Yeah. And we said, no, thank you, YouTube. We appreciate it, but we don't want to be in partnership with you. Once you sign up for the YouTube partnership, they co-own your videos. Did you know that? They co-own them. God has blessed you with the gift to edify the body of Christ. And now you want to go into bed with Google YouTube. You can't do it. And if you do, you are committing spiritual adultery, spiritual fornication. And this video I was watching two or three years ago, uh, the first few seconds, Islamic dating came up. That's a problem with going to bed with a secular money-making organization. Should be clear. I shouldn't have to preach about this. And yet, what do we see time after time? How to make a quick buck. Going back to the cash cow. Uh, going back to a molten god, so on and so forth. Uh, look at verse 17. Thou shalt make no... Molten gods. Again, molten gods, metal, uh, a cash cow, basically. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you are saved, if you are born again, if you hold the King James Bible, and most people don't, but if you are into the Word of God, if you take the Scripture seriously, you have no business going into uh, a financial arrangement with non-Christians. This past week, uh, Harry and Meghan have split from the royals. And I was looking at the papers this morning, and a video has been released of Harry approaching a well-known uh, Californian TV mogul 
for Disney, I think it was. Yeah. And he said to this mogul, can you give my wife a job? She's very good at doing voiceovers. Listen, I'm no royalist, but I'll tell you something. The way these two have behaved over the past week is shameful. It's unethical. And on top of that, there are rules set in place to make sure that people don't abuse their status in the royal family. If he wasn't Harry Wales, if he wasn't the grandson of the Queen, who would care about him? Nobody would give him a, a second glance, but because he is, her, he is her grandson, he's able to milk the cow, as they say, and bring dishonour on the royal family. Same sort of a thing. What he's done this past week with his wife is paramount to what Christians are doing with Google YouTube. It's disgraceful. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's pretty clear, isn't it? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Nothing, of course. Nothing at all. If you are a son of God, why are you hanging around with a son of Adam? Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Going back to Exodus 34, yoking up with Gentiles, worshipping other gods. And that's why Jehovah would punish them severely. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord, concord, like an agreement, a contract? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? These aren't saved people that I'm speaking about this morning. These are secular businesses making money and doing so at the expense of the Holy Ghost. Simon the sorcerer almost was destroyed for what he did. And it says he believed. It says he believed. A saved man, and yet within moments of being saved, he's still carnal, wanting to make money, you see. And what agreements hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There's a, deline a delineation there. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. There's our word, separate, separation, segregation. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Unclean. If you're hanging around with unsaved people, he says they are unsaved, unclean. They are filthy, going back to Isaiah, concerning our righteousness as filthy rags. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Go back to Exodus 34. So for the Old Testament, if a Jew yoked up with a Gentile in marriage, he or she would perhaps be cut off. Solomon was cut off for his relationships with his women, not based on the colour of their skin, but based on their religion. For today, if a saved man or a saved woman marries an unsaved man or an unsaved woman, the marriage is doomed. It's doomed. How can two, uh, how can two walk together if there's no unity, uh, if there's no unity, if there's no agreements? Of course they can't. 34.12 again. Take heed, be aware. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant and agreement with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. Old Testament physical, New Testament spiritual, but it's the same precedent. Scripture with Scripture, 2 Corinthians 6. This hasn't been abolished. This hasn't been cancelled out. But ye shall destroy their images, their altars, their groves. But you can't do that. You can't criticise your partner. You can't bite the hand that feeds you. Do you see how you now put yourself in a spiritual straitjacket? 
Can you see that? You can't turn around and say to Google, YouTube or Twitter or Facebook, I don't like the adverts that you, that you are running at the beginning of my videos. I think they are inappropriate. You've signed up for the partnership deal. You're now in bed with such an entity. But ye shall destroy their altars, break down or break their images and cut down their groves. You go into the Catholic church, any Catholic church anywhere around the world, pictures all over the place, idols all over the place, the Marian altar, the priest sacrificing Christ. People sit there, don't say a word, you should be ashamed of yourselves. For thou shalt worship no other God. And yet, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? Well, I want to please my family. I want to please my friends. How about pleasing the Lord? What does uh, James say? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. The more I read the Bible, the more I study the scripture, the more I realize that we have very little liberty in the Lord. Very little liberty. Paul says, if you cause your brother to stumble, you are guilty of his damnation. Do you realize if you are a Christian, man or woman, it makes no difference. People are watching you, observing you. And that's why Christian parents struggle so much, because their kids watch them. And they love it when their parents fall, when their parents say something or do something which is unhelpful, shall we say. And their kids say, you call yourself a Christian? You call yourself a man of God? You call yourself a woman of God? And yet look at you, doing this, doing that. They throw it back in your face. Not always, I know that. But many times if your children are unsaved, they are just waiting for an excuse not to believe the gospel. And they look at you and they find their excuse. Destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, timeless. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, 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 is a jealous god. Lest thou make a covenant with inhabitants of the land, and they go whoring after their gods. I'm going to keep hitting this verse. A whoring, apostatizing, selling out. A whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice. In the Old Testament, physical. Sitting at a, di uh, sitting at a meal with pagans. It could be Catholics. Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, you can't do it. And if you go along at such a place, you will cause your brother to stumble. That's found over in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, and also Romans chapter 14 from memory. Sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. The Mass is a sacrifice, an ongoing sacrifice, and I've spoken out against this for years now, and I will continue to do so. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go whoring after their gods. In a sense, Harry has done that. A man with no principles, a man with no values, a rudderless prince like his brother. What would his mother say to Mother Teresa? Help me to pray. Help me to help my sons to pray. What would Teresa think of that, I wonder? Mm -hmm. And here we are some 20 years later, two rudderless princes marrying two unsaved women. Meghan, of course, would convert to the Church of England before she married Harry, as would Kate. But where's the fruit? Where's any sign of love for the Lord? All they seem to be interested in is money. Money, money, money. Hanging around with unsavory characters. People that the Lord condemns. Filthy internally and externally. And make thy sons go a-whoring. There's that word again. A-whoring. A-whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molting gods. Go back to 2 Corinthians one more time. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is the obvious place to go to. And uh, as I say, the more I read the scriptures, the more I realize that we, as saved people, have very little liberty. And yet at the same time, we don't want to be trapped by the legalists and forced into a theological straitjacket. But again, 6.14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? 
That's a term for Satan, by the way. Belial. And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? A saved woman marries an unsaved man. A saved man marries an unsaved woman. Trapped in a loveless marriage. You can't speak about your first love. What is your first love? If your first love is Jesus, you can't speak to your unsaved husband or wife about Jesus. They're not interested. What do you talk about? What do you talk about? The weather? Politics? Television? The internet? What do you talk about? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out, come out, come out, come out from among them. But who, who, who wants to do this? Who wants to say to their secular sponsors, keep your money? Who wants to say to Disney, we don't want your money? Who wants to say to members of the royal family, we will stand by the crown? We will honour our commitments. We have a duty of honour. It's unethical to be yoked up with a financial partnership. Who wants to take the side of Simon Peter? Who would put an angry condemnation on Simon the sorcerer? Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Praise the Lord for that indeed. Exodus 34, Exodus 34, look at verse 18. The feast of unleavened bread shalt thou keep. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, as I commanded thee. In the time of the month Abib, for in the month Abib thou camest out from Egypt. Abib, or Abib, is April of course. All that openeth the matrix is mine. And every firstling among thy cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male. Matrix, old English for womb. He owns everything. He owns a sheep on a thousand hills. All that openeth the matrix is mine. And every firstling, firstborn, among thy cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male. But the firstling, the firstborn of an ass, a donkey, thou shalt redeem with a lamb. Christ is our sacrificial lamb. He died in our place. We love to speak about that. We preach about the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died once for the sins of the world. He was buried once for the sins of the world. He was resurrected once for the sins of the world. He ascended into heaven once for the sins of the world. And if thou redeem him not, and if thou redeem him not, and if thou redeem him not, then shalt thou break his neck. All the firstborn of thy sons thou shalt redeem, and none shall appear before me empty. So go back to earlier chapters in this wonderful book. And like I say, this will be week 106, broadcast 106, hour number 60. And by the grace of God, we are accumulating around 56 minutes each broadcast. If you go back to the earlier chapters from the book of Exodus, Jehovah would spare his firstborn, but he would kill, destroy Pharaoh's firstborn. Once again, showing a delineation. Also showing that he's not everyone's father. He's not everyone's father. You have to believe on him to receive him. It's not done automatically. So one more time, why are you hanging around with papists or apostate Christians? Why are you doing business with unsaved people? Why are you selling out the Lord Jesus Christ when he's given you the gift to preach, teach, evangelize? I put it to you that you are in the same boat as Simon the sorcerer. Financial gain, wants to make money, so on and so forth. So therefore, as he would spare the firstborn, he wants the Jews to present their firstborn to him. Concerning their livestock from verse 19 and 20. Give it back to him. He owns it anyway of course. 21. Six days thou shalt work. But on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In earing time and in harvest thou shalt work. 
earing time uh, in reference to ploughing time. Also, there's no workaholics allowed in scripture. This past week, a plane was shot down over Tehran, a Ukrainian plane, and one of the victims was a Brit, and one of his friends was speaking to the media two days ago, and he said how his friend was a workaholic. And he said uh, he made a lot of money, he lived for money, and he had a young daughter, and he wanted to go part-time to spend more time with his children. Every single wealthy person that you can think of, whether it's Gotti, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, or the new crowd, uh, Murdoch, Branson, or some of the... Uh, Bramovich, all those guys, when they hit their deathbeds, not one of those guys will be saying, I wish I'd made more money. No way. When Sammy Davis was dying, and he died at the age of 64, nothing really, he said one of his biggest regrets was that he didn't spend more time with his children. At the uh, peak of his career, he was flying all over the world and all over America with Sinatra and Dean Martin, and he said, I wish I spent more time with my children. But the phone would ring. Hey, Sammy, it's Frankie. Let's go to Vegas this weekend. Jumps on his plane, couldn't say no. And of course, his kids grew up. You were never at home, Dad. We never got to see you. And Billy Graham would be the same from the religious persuasion. I got his biography on my bookshelf. And he says he has huge regrets. He's dead now, of course. But he had huge regrets that he left his wife, Ruth, to raise their four children with the help of her mother. And he said, my kids, two of the boys, were always in trouble with the police. Because surprise, surprise, Billy was too busy flying around the world trying to save the world. And that's why the Lord doesn't call married men to travel the world. He chose unmarried men to do, to do the work of an evangelist. Because your wife is going to suffer, your children are going to suffer. So if you are a workaholic, it's all vain. It's all vanity. When you die, you leave it all behind. This past week, one of our friends died, late 70s, a friend of the ministry. A nice guy, unsaved, but he was a good friend of our ministry. He helped us in different ways. No, not financially. Not financially. He helped us in different ways, and we helped him. No, not financially. We don't yoke up with unsaved people. When I criticise Ray Comfort, or Robert Breaker, or some of these guys online, I make sure that I'm not doing the same thing that they are doing. It's one thing to take money, or it's one thing to allow saved people to, to support you, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, but you don't take money from unsaved people. You don't sell the gospel out, and if you do, you are guilty of a whoring. You are guilty of selling out the Lord Jesus Christ. But this past week, one of our friends passed away, late 70s, like I say, a friend of the ministry. And within a few days of him dying, his son arrived at his place of business and started to clear it all out. All his years of building up his material, a business slash hobby, and within moments, all thrown out. Part of it onto a skip, I would think, and the rest of it sold to somebody else. You spend your whole life collecting stuff, accumulating stuff, and when you die, it's all worthless. It gets thrown out, nobody cares for it. Look at 22. And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingatherings at the year's end. There's your feast of tabernacles, and you've got three groups of feasts mentioned here, which, like I say, become the feast of tabernacles. Thrice in the year shall all your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. There's no feasts for the church today. We don't have feasts, or feasts per se. We have two ordinances, baptism, once we are saved, and the Lord's Supper. It could be weekly, it could be monthly, it could be whenever you want to do so, but we have no feast days per se. Thrice in the year, three times in the year, shall all your men children, boy children, appear before the Lord God. 
the God of Israel, for I will cast out the nations before thee. Negative, for I will cast out the nations before thee, and enlarge thy borders, neither shall any man desire thy land. When thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. He wants a Jew all for himself. And for today, Christ wants a church all for himself. Paul says we are espoused to Christ, a chaste virgin. And what do we do? We try to fit in with the world. We try to do deals with the world. We try to associate with unsaved people. We try to make some money. We try to better ourselves. We take Christian money and put it into secular ventures. Stocks and shares. And we allow those money-mad people, going back to the cash cow analogy, to invest money for us. You can't do it. You can't do it. And yet that's what people are doing. And as a result, they will hit the judgment seat and have to answer for themselves, of course. Look at verse 25. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Neither shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left unto the morning. It's a picture of salvation. Behold, now is accepted time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Our friend who died this past week was witness to, took tracts from us. We spoke to him just before Christmas. Patrick gave him a gospel tract, asked him to read it. He had many before, of course. We tried, we tried, we tried, we tried. As far as we know, he died lost. And if we are right, and if I am right for saying that, he's burning right now. Now, do you believe that? Some of you pious Christians, do you believe that? Do you believe that your unsaved friends and family are going to go to hell forever? Would you ever say that to their faces? Or would you try and share the truth with them? Most Christians become agnostic when it hits this particular subject because it's too uncomfortable. It doesn't feel very nice. But go back to 24. Cast out the nations before thee. I will cast out the nations before thee. Zephaniah 3.8 says he will gather all nations. And he will destroy all nations. In reference to the second advent. For I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Had they walked with him, of course, but they didn't walk with him. They went a-whoring after pagan gods. Neither shall any man desire thy land. And they want it now, don't they? They want the land now. You've got the UN trying to grab the land. You've got the Church of Rome owning most of the land. You've got Muslims wanting the land. And this past week, the Iranians were firing missiles at an empty airbase. They gave the Americans three hours notice. Ballistic missiles were fired from Iran. It's all for show. They lied to their own people. They said they'd killed 80 civilians, 80 enemy combatants. Not one person died. No casualties. It was all for nothing. But what does Iran really want? Israel. The annihilation of Israel. Drive the Jew into the sea. Take the land for Allah. And yet here we are, many years after the Jews have gone back to the land. Five or six wars, each and every time, the Muslim gets whipped. Allah isn't powerful. Allah isn't able to overthrow Jehovah because Allah does not exist, of course. When thou shalt go up to, to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year, the first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring unto the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. There's no pain on pain. You don't take a kid, a goat, and boil it in its mother's milk. This is a partial prohibition to animal cruelty as well. If you're going to kill an animal to eat, if you are going to kill an animal to survive, or if you're going to kill an animal to sacrifice to Jehovah, do it quickly. Don't torture it. Don't become a sadist. 
and watch the animal screaming and crying and begging to be put out of its misery. If you see a horse which breaks its leg, it crashes to the ground. If you go back to World War I, many horses that belonged to the Allies were uh, seriously harmed. And somebody once said this, that the noise of a dying horse was horrendous. And some of the accounts from World War I, British and American and also German, uh, just traumatised some of the soldiers. And one British uh, soldier, about 18, he said, I'll never forget the noise of an animal caught in the barbed wire, uh, both its back legs unable to get free, and it's putting itself forward in its stomach and it's ripping the stomach and the leg is being pulled back and the horse is screaming in great pain and he said I wanted to get to the horse and put it out of its misery but if I tried to the Germans would have seen me and killed me so don't seethe or don't boil or don't boil a goat in his mother's milk and the Lord said unto Moses write thou these words for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel the church isn't mentioned and this term for tenor means after these things or according to these things. We can read these verses, take the principle from these verses and apply them to the New Testament. For today, for the church, under grace. No problem whatsoever. And the Lord, 27 again, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, inspiration. After the tenor of these words, according to these words, I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. Forty days and forty nights. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenants, the Ten Commandments. He, in reference to God, not Moses. And he, Moses, was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. The Lord would sustain him. And he would sustain the Jews for 40 years. And here he is sustaining Moses for 40 days and 40 nights. And he, Anaseed God, wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant. These words came from Jehovah, not Moses. So when you break the Ten Commandments, you are breaking the commandments of the Lord, not Moses. The Ten Commandments, the words of the Lord, the law, the moral aspect of the law. And if you break the Ten Commandments, you will perish, of course. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And once we've been brought to Christ, we know we can't keep ourselves saved. So we allow the law to break us, to bring us to the points of no return. And we turn to the Lord in complete faith and we receive him forever and ever. Go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. This is really the part, or this part of scripture this morning is really dealing with separation. If you've just joined us. And James chapter 4, look at verse 4. Ye adulterers, ye adulterers, and adulteresses. Not physical, not physical, this is spiritual. But who wants to preach this? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. How do you feel about that? You're in business with unsaved people. You've married an unsaved man. You've married an unsaved woman. How do you feel about that? You can't share your first love with your unsaved spouse. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, male and female, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Listen, we don't pray for the world. Nobody prays for the world. 
What does John 17 say? I didn't come to pray for the world. I will not pray for the world. John 17 says, you pray for those that were given to the Lord out of the world. Jesus Christ prayed to the Father to protect those that had been given to him from among the world. The term church means a called out people from the world. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? And that's why your prayers don't get answered if you are saved. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, Exodus 34, is the enemy, is the enemy, is the enemy of God. Go to Acts 8. We've spoken about Simon the Sorcerer this morning. And I partly uh, quoted Acts chapter 8. But I better read it in the last few moments that we have. And from 8.18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. He's carnal. He's fleshly. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. Try saying that to Google sometime. Try saying that to Facebook sometime. Try saying that to Twitter sometime. Thy money perish with thee. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart, there's your problem. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness. And pray God if perhaps the thoughts of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. But 13. Then Simon himself believed also. Believed also. And when he was baptised, he continued with Philip. And one did, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So a saved person can stray. A saved person can get caught up with unsaved people. And when a saved person gets into bed with unsaved people to make financial profits off the gospel, 2 Peter 2.3, and refuses to repent, According to Titus, such becomes a heretic and such should be shunned. Called out, put out, and hoping, or the body of Christ would hope he would repent and come back into fellowship with the Lord. It rarely happens, of course, because most people are stubborn. Most people don't want to be corrected. Most people retain their love for their old natures. And as a result of that, they become stiff necks like the Jews in the Old Testament. And if they're not careful, they become bankrupt an embarrassment to the body of Christ and a disgrace to the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week we will turn to 34 and look at these three feasts in more detail, which time doesn't allow me to do this morning, but Lord willing, we will do so next week. So last week we spoke briefly about separation, a subject which is neglected, a subject which isn't very popular, obviously. And I'm going to speak a bit more about that this morning. Just for the record, our friend who passed away week before last was more of an acquaintance than a friend. Scripture says that friendship with the world is enmity with the Lord. Those that love the world don't have the love of the Father inside of them. Yes, it's a fine line. I will grant you that. Exodus 34. Look at verse 9 again, please. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. Keep your hand there and go to Psalm 33 our millennial inheritance or our place in our millennial inheritance or the millennial reign is of course conditional on how we live after we are saved john 3 says we can't even see it 
until we are born again. And once we are born again, it's down to us what our uh, station will be in the millennial reign. If you think of a race, a marathon, uh, people prepare for the run and they put a lot of time into their preparation. Psalm 33, Psalm 33. And the more they practice, the more they keep their weight down, eat proper protein, less carbs, but more protein. The healthier they are and the more healthy they are, the greater chance they have at winning the race. Psalm 33, Psalm 33. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance concerning Israel, of course, and its passages such as this that give us our belief how Israel is a beloved nation, a chosen people, a called out people. And if you are premillennial or if you're looking for further information as to why you should stand with the Jews, passages like Psalm 33, 12 and Psalm 94 are the verses to read. 94:14. For the Lord will not cast off his people. That's good news. For the Lord will not cast off his people in the context, the Jews, but in type, in prophecy, in reference to the church. We call this once saved, always saved. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. Praise the Lord for that. So go back to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 34, 9 again. And he said, Moses said, if now I have found grace in thy sight, standing and state, not the same thing, partly in reference to his relationship, his commissioned office, if you will, but also in reference to his salvation. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, for by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity, our iniquity. He's praying on behalf of the people. And our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. So I just wanted to reread that verse, and show you how the Jews are God's beloved people, his covenant people. And as of right now, they are in darkness. Second Corinthians chapter 3, which we'll look at later this morning. So you are to pray for the Jew. But I'll show you a verse from Matthew 12, which makes it very clear that it's not as easy as you would think. 34.22, 34.22 again. And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Thrice in the year shall all your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. Go to Luke 24. Luke 24. Three feasts clearly found from chapter 34. Elsewhere, some of these feasts are given additional names. But as of this part, as of this point in the book of Exodus, you are way back in the Old Testament under the theocracy. You have theocracy, you have the monarchy, and now you have the apostasy, basically. Uh, I was sent a video to watch this morning, I'll watch it later, about Jewish people uh, who try to keep the Ten Commandments in countries around the world. I'll watch it later. And of course, you know, if you read the Bible on a regular basis, it is impossible. If you break one of the Ten Commandments, you've broken all of the Ten Commandments. And Jewish people, religious Jews, are hoping that their observance of the Ten Commandments will cut it with the Lord. Every time a Jew tries to keep the Ten Commandments, every time a Catholic tries to keep the Golden Rule, 
Every time a Protestant tries to keep the Sermon on the Mount, they are damning themselves. And I'll explain that also more this morning. Luke 24, Luke 24, look at verse 44. And he said unto them, Jesus speaking, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. So the Old Testament is basically in three sections. And here, the Messiah, the one who gave the law to Moses, is telling you that it starts with the law of Moses, the first five books. The prophets, Samuel, Solomon, David, and uh, Nathan, Gad, so on and so forth. And the Psalms concerning me. So three parts of the Old Testament, and these three parts of the Old Testament complement the three feast days that the Jews were meant to observe. Contrast that to the New Testament. Gospels, Book of Acts, the Epistles. And yet, unofficially, I like to say this, how the Book of Acts is really the fifth gospel. So, Gospels, slash Acts, Epistles, Revelation. But either way, the Old Testament is laid out in three sections. No reference, no reference to the Apocrypha. Did you notice that? No reference to the Apocrypha. Moses, Prophets, Psalms. Three parts of the Old Testament, New Testament, one more time. Acts, Gospels, Epistles. Or Gospels, Acts, Epistles. Go back to the book of Exodus, please. Exodus 34, 29. And it came to pass, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin... Of his face shone while he talked with him. If you spend time in prayer with the Lord. If you spend time in the scripture. After a period of time you will change. You will feel clean on the inside. And as you feel clean on the inside. You are clean on the outside. Stephen had a face of an angel. As he was about to be murdered. And just for the record. Stephen will be the first martyr in the church. John the Baptist technically will be an Old Testament saint. Came to pass, 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, 40 days and 40 nights. He's been up there at least two occasions. Can't really imagine it, can you, what it was like up there. Doesn't eat, doesn't drink. God sustains him, like he would do with the children of Israel, like he would do with 144,000, like he would do with the two witnesses. Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in his hand when he came down from the mount, that Moses, wist not, did not know that the skin... Of his face shone while he talked with him. So spend time with the Lord through prayer, fasting if necessary. Spend time in the book, especially the book. And I guarantee you, if you spend an hour each day or 30 minutes each day or even 15 minutes each day. Praying, reading, fasting, you will notice a difference. Guarantee it. Go back to the analogy I gave at the beginning of this broadcast. It could be a marathon. It could be a sprint. It could be any sport, event, athletes spend time practicing. And they really do practice. And after two or three years of practicing, in fact, I believe to be a uh, skier to uh, enter the world's tournaments, you have to begin skiing at the age of six. Six years of age. Go back to the great pianists. It could be uh, Beethoven. It could be Mozart. It could be Brahms. It could be Richard Wagner. It could be uh, Strauss. It could be uh, Handel. All those guys were playing the piano at three years of age. Three, four, five. And of course it shows, doesn't it? You come along later in life and start to 
learn the piano at, say, 25.30. You can still do it, of course, but it's not quite the same. You try and enter a marathon or become a professional swimmer or cyclist later in life. It's not quite the same, is it? Those people spend a lot of time, and when they go into the Olympics, especially the Olympics, they are top dog. They shine. And you see some of these uh, oriental pianists. Brilliant. Just brilliant. They put their Caucasian counterparts to shame. But here Moses has been up on the mount. His face, his countenance is shining, it's radiating. If you stand in the presence of the Lord, and one day we will all be in his presence. Judgment seat for those of us which are saved. And you can't really imagine it, can you? You can't really imagine it. I guess even if you were to attempt, and this is a very poor analogy, but even, even if you were to attempt to draw a comparison between the American presidents or the Queen of England or the Japanese emperor, even then it doesn't really go anywhere. Because you're standing in the presence of a fellow sinner, just like you. But when you stand in the presence of the Lord, it's a whole different ball game. 34.30 And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Also a picture there of conviction, basically. If you read the Bible regularly, if you pray regularly, if you give out tracts, if you try and win souls to the Lord, you can cause fellow Christians to feel uncomfortable. It's hard to explain it, but if you are a soul winner, if you are consecrated, that's the word, in fellowship with the Lord, if you are putting the old man down every day, not easy, of course. In some ways, it's practically impossible. But if you are really living for the Lord, you will convict your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's one of the reasons why, especially church people, can be critical of you. They don't like you, because you're slightly different to them. And when Aaron and all of the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, it shined. And they were afraid to come nigh him. Moses and Aaron are brothers, and yet, in spite of that, Aaron is still fearful to approach his brother because his face has physically changed. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron, and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses taught with them. He wants to comfort them. Many times, Messiah would say, Why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? Be not afraid, it is I. What Paul say, comfort one another with these words. Concerning the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord, all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Keep your hand there and go to Acts chapter 20. So Moses is one of the greats from the Old Testament. That should be obvious by now. And after spending 40 days and 40 nights up on the mount with the Lord, he has received further revelation and we call this progressive revelation. He's now articulating to Aaron and co. The elders, the people in general, what he has been told. There's no secret society here. There's no Bilderberg meeting. There's no Illuminati. There's no Freemasonry. There's no Rosicrucianism. This is open. It's above board. And down the line, it will be written, of course, and go into the Old Testament. And we are reading about it this morning. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Look at verse 26. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. This is Paul speaking. And every time I read this verse, it convicts me. I'm not sure I can say that I am pure from the blood of all men concerning sharing the gospel. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Also in reference to teaching. To be a teacher is tough. It's difficult. When I prepare for these live Sunday morning services, 
and only last night I was working out. I've got 16 more weeks to go because I have to plan it. I have to prepare it. I have to pray about it. It isn't easy. And I've got to read these verses and I've got to understand them before I preach them. And here Paul says he's pure from the blood of all men, 26, 27. He hasn't shunned to declare unto you, the church, all the counsel of God. That's a tall order. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, to feed the church of God. That's what we do, Patrick and I. We feed the church of God. We produce messages such as this. We put videos online. We write articles. We put out tracts. We speak to people. We disciple people. We try and assist people. We try and encourage people. We are teachers. We are preachers. We are trying to feed the church of God. We don't just give out tracts and say, make it your own way or go your own way. There was one occasion, Acts chapter 8, when the Ethiopian unit was baptized and it says, hey, went on his way rejoicing. But that's a one-off event. Book of Acts, you got saved. You went alongside the elders, the apostles, and they taught you. They built you up in the faith. And that's one of the reasons why you were told not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together in the context for the first century because the New Testament was still being written. The apostles were still receiving revelations. Feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. In reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to the book of Exodus. So Moses comes down and briefs the Jews. Paul arrives in Ephesus and briefs the elders. And around this time, uh, Acts 18, 19, 20, the church is probably 60, 40. Concerning the Jews, 60%. The Gentiles, 40%. By the end of the book of Acts, it's turning around to probably 70-30. 70% being Gentile, 30% being Jewish. 34-33. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. He put a covering on his face. Now it's hard to really understand what is going on here. If you think about uh, when Moses first goes up to the mount. Get off your shoes, take off your shoes. Why? For you are on holy ground. If you think about when the commander of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, came into contact with Joshua, he would say, take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. John the Baptist would say he wasn't worthy to carry the Lord's shoes, to untie his shoes. If you uh, speak to Muslims, if you visit an Islamic home, or if you go into an Islamic place of business, they have a room where they basically pray. And there'll be a sign outside saying, uh, take your shoes off, basically, before you come into this part of the property. It's a copy of the Old Testament. It's a counterfeit of the Old Testament. Now for today, we come as we are, unholy, unclean, unworthy, and he makes us holy. He makes us worthy. He makes us clean. He gives us imputation. But there's a veil involved. And here it's a physical veil. Go to Second Corinthians chapter 3. But for the New Testament... This veil is a spiritual veil. And that wasn't bad enough. There's a satanic connotation to the spiritual veil. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And look at verse 7 if you will. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. For the glory of his countenance. Which glory was to be done away. That's a sad statement. It was temporary. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? 
For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory, in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. There's the whole point of this. But their minds were blinded. That's the reason for this. But their minds were blinded, even back in the day of Moses. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, 60 AD, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testaments, which veil is done away in Christ. There's a guy on YouTube, an Orthodox Jew. I've been monitoring him for maybe two years now. And one day I will put a video up against him. Uh, he's a nasty piece of work, basically. And yet, paradoxically, I like him. I kind of respect him. He's conservative. He is an Orthodox Jew, like I say. He knows Hebrew, Aramaic, inside out. His knowledge of the Old Testament is practically uh, flawless. But every time he hits Messianic passages, Psalm 22, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, uh, Zechariah 14, Zechariah 12, he can't see it, won't see it. And every time he hits those passages, he becomes critical and starts to mock the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a blasphemer, of course. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. 14 again, but their minds were blinded. Now again, go back to the Old Testament, you've got first five books, you have a theocracy, God speaking from heaven, that fails. Then it becomes a monarchy, 1 Samuel chapter 8, that fails. For what, nearly 3,000 years, no Jew, nobody who is Jewish has a king. There isn't any Jewish king. The last king uh, would be back in Jeremiah, Zedekiah, uh, Jeconiah, one of those two. And uh, since that time, there's been no physical king on the throne. So because Jehovah promised to send a future Messiah, he has to bypass the physical seed of David. And therefore he gives uh, Jesus to Mary, the virgin birth, and he bypasses the physical uh, seed concerning the kings of Israel because their seed is contaminated. God has cursed the seed. But their minds were blinded, still is until this day. For until this day remaineth the same veil and taken away in the reading of the Old Testament. So for the Old Testament, it was physical. Moses wearing a physical veil to, in a sense, uh, rebuke unbelieving Israel. And now for the New Testament, it is a spiritual veil concerning the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Everything was done away in Christ. Civil law, ceremonial law, even the moral aspect of the law has been done away in Christ. When you walk in the Spirit, you don't commit the sins of the flesh. And when you love the Lord thy God and your brothers yourself, you have fulfilled the law. But even until this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And if you have a reference Bible, uh, most will suggest that this word, it, concerns heart. No, it concerns Israel. When it, Israel, shall turn to the Lord, second advent, the veil shall be taken away. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Now, like I say, there's a spiritual element to Israel's unbelief. If you think of Isaiah, if you think of uh, Ezekiel, and even parts of uh, Hosea, which I'm reading at the moment, 
the Jews are under a curse, basically. And this curse came from Jehovah. Always be mindful of that. And if you try and witness to a Jew, it's very difficult. And like I say, this Jewish rabbi online has a lot to say about Jesus. Uh, he's a mocker, basically. Paul would come up against people such as him. Jesus came up against people such as him. I got a quote, incidentally, from uh, 1940. I'll get to Matthew 12 in a minute. And this quote, I think, is very uh, intriguing. And I think this quote is basically held by most of Christendom. And it says the following, quote, The world is getting too small for that book, meaning the Bible. Either that book will have to go, or this world will have to go, close quote. That's an amazing statement. It's a very honest statement. Coming from the mouth of a atheist professor in Russia, 1940, I would suggest most churches agree with that statement. Most religions agree with that statement. In fact, I'll go one step further. It's been my belief for some years now that if all of these churches could come together, and they already have done, and uh, get rid of the New Testament, get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ, it'd be so much easier for them. If they could undermine, ridicule, reject the word of God, which they have been doing for 2,000 years, we go back to the days of Westcott and Hort. And of course, as of right now, they practically achieve this. They could successfully speed up their Babel-style one-world religion. 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Jesus speaking, by the way. Then he saith, I will return into my house, from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in, and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Here's a picture of Israel being cleaned, swept, prepared for the Messiah. Going back to John the Baptist. Go back to the book of Exodus 34. Some would repent. Most would not. A bit like today. Most people today reject the Bible. Reject the New Testament. Reject Christ's blood atonement. Messiah arrives. Preaches the gospel. Everything's ready for the first advent. Everything's ready for the millennial reign. The Jews reject Messiah. Reject John the Baptist. Reject the apostles. And one of the reasons why they reject the Lord Going back to Isaiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and even back to Exodus 34 is because of their heart. The heart is corrupt. The heart is darkened. And therefore, this spirit is connected with Israel. But you've got seven spirits. Now, to go beyond that and say every Jew is demon-possessed is problematic. And I won't say that because Jews do get saved. But when it comes to our understanding of the Jewish people and Israel as a nation, I see two sides to a coin heads or tails take your pick the first side of the coin tells you one thing turn the coin over it tells you something different those verses from psalm 32 psalm 94 stand the word of god is uh, unbreakable scripture cannot be broken thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever and yet and yet and yet matthew 12 43 45 there are unclean spirits connected to the house of israel and again, 2 Corinthians 3, until they, Israel, turn to the Lord, second advent, that veil remains over their hearts and they can't see Messiah, they can't see salvation. They are just as lost as an atheist, just as lost as a pagan, just as lost as anybody who you care to think of. 
may be religious, but the Lord is not interested in religion. He's interested in regeneration. He is interested in relationship. 34, 34. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off. Well, of course, take your shoes off. You're in the presence of the Lord. Contrast that to 1 Corinthians 11. Men don't wear hats when they break bread. You may wear hats when you're outside. Women are supposed to really have a head covering on also during the breaking of bread. Though most churches think the hair is their crown of glory. That's a mute issue for another day. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. He holds nothing back. Paul would hold nothing back. Paul was a soul winner. Indirectly, Moses was a soul winner. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again, until he went in to speak with him. In some ways, this veil, this is a crude analogy, forgive me, but in some ways, this veil is like wearing sunglasses. God is a light. God is a spirit. Uh, it says over in Isaiah that during a thousand year reign, the sun will shine seven times brighter than it currently does. It says over in uh, Revelation how the Lamb is the temple and the light comes via the Lamb. So it's not difficult to uh, appreciate why Moses would wear the veil. And yet when he goes in to see the Lord, he takes it off. But when he comes out, he puts it back on again. It's like a paradox, really. It's also a picture of uh, the two... Testaments. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament is veiled, New Testament is unveiled. So, 35 verses, and along the way we've looked at separation. Quick story I was told a story a while ago of a Christian couple who went into business with an unsaved relative, and it started off all very well. And this Christian couple thought they could make some money, but the uh, unbelieving relative was wanting to make lots of money. And surprise, surprise, over a period of time, uh, the intention was good, but the business venture went sour, basically. And they had to break because unequal yoking causes all sorts of problems. If a saved man marries an unsaved woman, problems. If an unsaved woman marries a saved man, problems. If you marry a Catholic, for example, you are expected to raise your children in the Church of Rome. They expect that. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of marriages break down, because couples bring a lot of baggage to the marriage. And that's why, if you can, marry somebody who is born again. Uh, but even then, it doesn't mean it's going to be a happy marriage. Uh, but at least if you're both born again, you are on the same page. So we'll close it there. Uh, again, it seems to be taking us three weeks to work through every chapter. And if my uh, figures are correct, I will suggest we have 15, maybe 16 more weeks to go before we finish uh, the book of Exodus, which means we have probably three or four months to go. And I'm not gonna rush this because as we go along uh, through the Old Testaments, we will look at other parts of the Old Testament and try and tie in all these verses together. But we'll hold it there and Lord willing, pick it up next week in Exodus chapter 35.